Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsh and this is episode 63 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie, selected specifically by our guest, that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone's having a great week out there. This week's movie is such a treat for me. Um, it, it's it's pretty usual for people to pick movies that not many people have heard of. It's pretty usual for people to pick movies that I haven't heard of. Um, this week's guest picked a movie that I had heard of but had not thought about in a very, very long time which is something we talk about over the course of the episodes. I don't want to undermine the episode, but I was really excited when uh, my guest this week, which is Harvey from the Love is Black podcast, brought up this movie. And I I, I met him through a, a podcasting group that I'm a part of, and he wanted to be on the show, and I asked him what movie he wanted to do, and he immediately picked the movie Amazing Grace and Chuck. Now, this is a movie you probably have not heard of. It came out in 1987, but it is a movie that I have a small bit of history with in my past and was really excited for the opportunity to revisit it and had a great conversation with Harvey about this. Um, we, we have some really interesting kind of sideline conversations, including a topic that most people don't want to talk about when they talk about a much beloved movie that they're bringing to the show, how he would handle a remake if this movie was made today. And he's really thought this through and we end up having a fantastic conversation. So I hope you really enjoy this week's episode. I know that not only did I have a good time recording it, but when I had revisited it for editing, uh, I, I realized just what a great conversation Harvey and I had. And I hope I can get him back on the show again in the future because we just we just really hit it off. So here we go with this week's movie, 1987's Amazing Grace and Chuck. All right. So just uh, some background. Uh, you want to tell me a little bit about yourself? Anything the listeners might want to know in order to, you know, have context of who you are? <laughs> OK, no problem. I am an 80s kid. I grew up, you know, I was born in 1974. The 80s is the best decade ever for music movies, TV, everything. So I, I love the decade in general. I'm also uh, born in 74, so that puts us at the same age. That that was a question I was going to ask you, so I'm glad to know that. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right, that's good. All right, so we're in the same age range. I don't know. I just loved movies growing up. There was just TV and movies. So I grew up with great, I guess, sitcoms and great theme songs and great movies and great soundtracks. And there's tons of them. 87 is a great year for movies. So I don't know how in-depth we're going to get in there. But Amazing Grace and Chuck is like a small one. It's like probably you wouldn't know it, but there were so many other movies that came out that year. But it's one that I remembered. And I guess it's because I was a kid and that the reference really did something for me. And now, because of, I guess, the climate that we're in now, it really resonates with me now also. Mm -hmm. But it's, I don't know, do you want me, do I get into a movie or? No, we'll, we'll get into it in just a second. Okay. So you want to talk about some of the other 1987 movies that, you know, appeal to you? So what, I'm like, I love this movie. And it occurred to me, like, what else came out around that time? Because it didn't get much pub. It didn't get a lot of talk. So I was looking up and like the Lost Boys came out. Full Metal Jacket, Princess Bride came out. <laughs> like, yeah. Dirty Dancing, Who's That Girl, which I love. Another one of my favorites. I've never seen that one. Oh, <laughs> Listen, not like Madonna is a great actress, but that movie is awesome. It's great. It, it's got great like the taglines and stuff. 
if you ever get hell, I've got two copies of that DVD. If you need one, I'll send you one. But <laughs> I love it. It's Fatal Attraction, but maybe the best movie aside from the one we're going to talk about is Spaceballs. Yes. That came out in 87 too. I'm like, and then of course, Over the Top, you know, I'm, I'm flipping my hat backwards. I hope you've seen Over the Top, but you know, there's oh, it's such a great year for movies, action, comedy, all that stuff. But this particular movie, which is not really that funny at all, but kind of a serious subject, and it just resonated with me so well. So I think it's great. I love it. I had to look up over the top because the name didn't ring a bell. Oh, and it's a, it's a Sylvester Stallone movie. Oh, no, I have not seen God. it. <laughs> oh, arm wrestling. You've never seen Oh, Kenny Loggins did the soundtrack. It's great. Oh, oh no. My God. Dude, you have no idea what you stepped into with your movies. We, I can go for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> No clue. But so this so this is Kenny Loggins doing the soundtrack off the the hit of Top Gun, I guess. Oh, probably. <laughs> yeah, I went. He, he he kicked ass in the eighties. Obviously, Footloose and Over the Top. He did a few great songs. He was amazing. But I love that soundtrack too. And it's you know I guess Sylvester Stallone at his at his most dramatic. I mean I guess this is him being all serious. I guess as serious he can get. He's not, he's not <laughs> killing anybody in this movie. It's it's an arm wrestling movie, and it's just, it's great. It's just 80s great. It's that typical 80s, like the subject isn't that great, but you just kind of fall in, and you just love it. Now, I, I've had guests on before who brought 80s movies who are kind of around our same age, mm -hmm. and one of the common things that has come up uh, is revisiting movies that we remember so fondly from the 80s and discovering they really weren't that good in the first place. Have you ever had any incidents of that where nostalgia was a more powerful factor than the film itself? Oh, definitely. Oh, no, no. Listen, when I say it's good, I say it's 80s good. That doesn't mean, <laughs> listen, this is not Oscar-worthy material. Let's be real. Who's that girl? Madonna's not getting nominated for anything. I, I recognize what it is. It's just... It fits the time. Like, the 80s is only almost its own genre. Like, it's big yes. hair. It's ridiculous movies. It's one-hit wonders. It's just 80s shenanigans. Like, that's... Eddie Murphy did a song in the 80s. Like, it's random. And that's why it works. So these movies aren't great, but they're great for their time. And I think that's what it is. I think that's a really interesting point, the idea that it's almost a genre unto itself, because... I, I'm, we're recording this, uh, it won't air for quite a while, but we're recording this with me just coming off the end of a series of 80s movies. And when I first set out with the podcast, my intention was to break up the decade. So I'd have an 80s movie and a 90s movie and a 70s movie and right. an 80s movie. And I just did five weeks of 80s movies. Oh, wow. Uh, three of which I had never even seen or heard of before. What'd you do? So it, you gotta it, tell it is me. So, it is so popular. Um, the Wraith, I had never heard of before. Okay. Um, I come in peace. Okay, which is ninety, but it's it's very eighties in its presentation. Okay, uh, Roadhouse. Oh, I just watched Roadhouse like an hour ago. That was just on. <laughs> that's another. That's a terrible movie, but it's so perfect for the eighties. It's yeah, that's Roadhouse wouldn't fly now. It it doesn't even make sense. Who thinks Patrick Swayze is, kick, is kicking people's asses? That's not believable. <laughs> but in the 80s, it fits. It's like Jeff Healy, blind guy singing behind a, behind a gate in a bar. 
<laughs> really? The guy who did Dirty Dancing is a badass in a movie? No. Come on. Come on. No. <laughs> it's not. So what kind of movies are you into today? Like, do you just exist in the 80s or do you still? Uh, you know, I got to tell you, um, in general, just in all kinds of media, like I find music to be pretty much crap right now. I am very much an oldies person. Like I got my satellite radio. It's on 80s. The kids know if they're in the car with me is 80s on eight and they hate it. But that's life. Deal with it. I'm driving. You get your own car. You, you, can, walk, you can listen to what you want. So it's 80s. It's 90s. Music just doesn't do it for me now. So I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty much 80s. And the same thing probably for movies. While I do like some movies, I mean, I, you know, we were born in 74. So my favorite movie of all time is The Godfather. Then part oh. two. And, you know, I love good old movies. They don't write movies like that now. There aren't really great ones. There's, I feel like we've gotten to the point where movies are almost secondary to television. Like there's great yes. series on TV. So there's not a lot of movies where I see maybe a, a promo or something from like, I'm excited. I need to see that. But give me a series. Like I was all about House of Cards. Or um, I'm trying to think what, me and my wife, we just started watching Shit's Creek, which is absolutely hilarious. So there's occasionally good things on TV, but me, I just turn on TV, and if a good 80s movie pops on, I'll watch it. Like I caught the beginning of Roadhouse, so I watch Roadhouse. <laughs> or I'll randomly catch, what was it? Oh, God, I forgot. Oh, what was it? I can't remember. The guy who played Apollo Creed in Rocky has one <laughs> movie that he did. So the one one black you know action star he did and it's hilarious and i watch it. action jackson that's what it is so yes. occasionally i'll watch it if that's on i'll watch it um running man if i'll catch that uh, schwarzenegger is great he can't act but those movies were fun right so i'm more kind of into the i don't know I, I like the randomness of the 80s which i think that's why it works for me but i don't know okay. occasionally something good will pop up but Give me something random. Give me an 80s movie, and you can just leave. And I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So the show is called Have Not Seen This. We're talking about movies we're surprised people have not seen. Right. Uh, so what are your have not seen this movies? What are uh, movies you haven't seen that people give you a hard time over? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, uh, okay. So my, I guess if I have to have a hot take, I don't like Will Smith at all. I hate. Mm. I, I legitimately hate Will Smith. And because I'm black, that literally makes me like a pariah in my community. Like, <laughs> what? Like, what do you mean you don't like Will Smith? My wife will purposely, will go somewhere and maybe it's quiet and we need a conversation piece. Oh, I don't know. Do you know? Harvey hates Will Smith. And then she can just walk off. And that's 45 <laughs> minutes of me explaining why Will Smith has been the same guy in every movie he's done for 20 years. And I hate it. So because of that, I've never seen um, Pursuit of Happiness. Okay. I saw Ali against my will. He just, he doesn't do it. It just doesn't work. But I haven't seen Hitch because I think it worked. Oh. I haven't seen I Am Legend. Oh. Just, I, listen, after, after he plays the cocky black guy nine straight times, I'm good. I don't need to see it again. But but I will I will say this not that I'm going to try and persuade you or anything but <laughs> some of the movies you're saying you have not seen are the ones where he actually does kind of break away from that. Mm. Um, I mean he certainly is the kind of the cocky black guy in those movies, but 
I would especially say with pursuit of happiness, there is he he has a, a much bigger emotional range in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's if if you can put your defenses down <laughs> out of all of the movies you've listed, that's the Will Smith movie I recommend. Like I love I Am Legend, but it's more as a genre picture. But if you're talking about actually seeing acting, I, I would I would definitely recommend Pursuit of Happiness. Okay, I've heard that before. No. I've heard, I, I, you're not the first. You're not the last. Truth be told, I saw Hancock. That's the only oh, Will God. Smith movie I've ever seen in a theater. And the reason is because I was, you know, this girl I really wanted to date, I wanted to hang out with. And she's like, let's go see a movie. We should go see Hancock. And I had already, my hate for Will Smith was already there. And this is like 12 years ago. But I'm like, oh, God, I want to hang out with this girl. She wants to see Hancock. Okay, so I got to go see Hancock. And this just, it just solidified my dislike for this man. Hancock is terrible. I was going to say, see, please tell me that's not the, the, you know, the girl you married. Because to me, see, wanting to see Hancock would have been like, <laughs> Actually, I don't want to see this girl anymore. <laughs> it's the only reason. Listen, if I didn't think something serious was coming out of it. I'm not going to spend money to see. I paid for both of us, which means I gave that man money. And I'm still a bit disgusted about that. But I ended up marrying her, so that makes it okay. But that movie was atrocious. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I'm trying to think. Will Smith makes it easy. What other movies? Oh, wow. That that people have told me that I should see. Uh, I can't. I feel like there's one that everybody's super shocked that I haven't seen. And because I'm a movie head, people, I guess people, friends of mine who know me, like I love movies. I'll watch anything, but there's just some things. Oh, I, um, what's that horrible love story movie? Um, uh, The Notebook. <laughs> I haven't seen The Notebook. Oh, okay. I have not seen that either. <laughs> so, <laughs> And in the end, the real problem with that either, I'm super judgy when it comes to movies because I love them. But my wife is just annoyed with me when it comes to watching TV and movies. Because when you grow up watching TV and movies, and the tropes are all the same, I can see what's coming. And I made the mistake of started saying things, like I'd be telling her what's coming, and I started ruining TV and movies for her. So I can't watch anything with her anymore. Because I'm watching <laughs> stuff, and I'm like, oh. Because these things are so blatantly obvious. This thing happens, oh, he's going to die in the next, you know, in the next chapter. Like, she doesn't. She, so now I just watch movies on my own. That's the only way it works. <laughs> All right. Well, let's switch gears into the movie that you've picked this week, which is 1987's Amazing Grace and Chuck, mm-hmm. written by David Field, directed by Mike Newell, starring Joshua Zuhaiki, Alex English, William Peterson, Francis Conroy, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Gregory Peck. It began in a small town in America. It began in the heart of a young boy and in the faith of an amazing man. He gave up what he did best because of this idea, and I don't think he should be alone. A boy who took a stand. I wish I could say that I was more like you when I was your age. You stood up for your beliefs. That feels good. But this work we're doing, these negotiations, they're more important than those feelings. Get out of here! Chuck, ever since this whole thing started, there's something that I've been meaning to say to you. I'm real proud of you. Amazing Grace and Chuck. Maybe one day, this story will be true. So I always start with, 
how do you describe this movie to someone who hasn't seen it? How do you sell them on the idea of seeing this movie? Ooh, that's a good one. All right. So to me, it's a kid's movie with a conscience. So I would probably ask the person if they've seen, hmm, have you ever seen The Sandlot? Okay. The Sandlot, which is, in my opinion, the best baseball movie of all time, ever. And I will fight anybody on that. <laughs> Anyone. Baseball, above all things, is a game. And if you put kids in a game, that's perfection. That's why I think Sandlot is phenomenal. So what I think, this movie, it's got a kid's heart. So if okay. you want to see a child's view of the world and then his inner struggle with dealing with what he doesn't like, that's how I describe this movie. That's a really good description. Um, I'm going to give a little more of a plot synopsis sure. than I normally do because so many of the movies that we cover on this show, I know people have seen. So like you talk about Roadhouse, people know Roadhouse. Mm -hmm. This one, people don't know. Right. Um, but the idea is that we have a, a little league pitcher who, as you said, it's a kid. It's it's a kid's movie with a conscience. He um, is given a tour of a missile silo. This is in 1987 during the Cold War, mm -hmm. uh, and he becomes very troubled with the existence of nuclear weapons and chooses to give up baseball because it's his one good thing. It's the one good thing he's good at, so he gives it up. And his gesture then attracts the attention of an NBA basketball player known as Amazing Grace and then follows a movement of other athletes deciding to stop playing as well until uh, there are less nuclear weapons in the world. Right. Right. Well, in his case, none, because he wants complete disarmament. Right, right. right. So why out of all of the movies out there did you, and you may have already answered this because you said this is like your favorite eighties movie, but why out of all the movies out there? Cause like you jumped straight to this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. I did because there's nobody talks about it. This is a decade where we've gotten to the point where it's so hard for originality in film that they're reaching back and they're doing remakes of TV shows, eighties TV shows of eighties movies. And this movie never gets discussed, ever. It's like in the shadows, really quiet. And it's got a really good cast. Like Jamie Lee Curtis is in there. Gregory Peck is in there. Yes. Gregory Peck is in there. That's him. And then Alex English, who never acted before, who was just a basketball player, but played this part and played it really well. No real training or anything. So it made it believable because he wasn't, you know, really acting and such with everything. He was just kind of playing himself and it just really worked out. It's the subject matter that I think worked for me. And trust me, I love plenty of 80s movies. For I could laugh. You know, I like the drama of it. But this one, the storyline worked for me. It's a kid. He sees the world. And I think, again, I think I mentioned it. We are in such... I don't want to say political times because I don't think it's political. We're in social unrest. And mm -hmm. I feel like if somebody in, in my head, I've actually written a script updating this movie. So if I ever, if I was good enough to rewrite this movie, I would. And I would put LeBron in Alex English's place because I think you could do it. This, a kid seeing the world as it is and just making his one, his one statement. He's given up his thing because of what he sees, it, I feel like it would connect really well in this world now, obviously with social media and 8,000 news stations and such. Something like that would have such an effect right now, I think, 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's why when we would talk about, you know, movie that I would, I would think about, this feels like if somebody made it now and made it well, it would do really well. It's interesting you bring up the the social media aspect because that's one of the notes I made when I was revisiting it was, you know, Amazing Grace plays for the the Celtics. So he's in Boston. And how is it that a Boston newspaper is carrying a a story about an event that takes place in um, in Montana? Exactly. And yeah, that's and that's a bit of a stretch when it comes to this film, because that probably wouldn't happen. But it's a it's a kid. And it starts off as something small. And when a kid decides to stop playing baseball, America's game, the national pastime, it kind of means something. To me, aside of the Cold War going on, there really wasn't much. So what? This one kid does this and it's a story. And then, oh, a reporter picks this up and another person picks it up. Oh, this is interesting. And the fact that it grows, that's why I think the social media connection works. Because this did it with no social media at all. There's a few reporters who picked it up. Imagine if this kid does this on Twitter, the whole seriously, and he decides, because baseball doesn't fit. Let's just say he decided to stop playing Fortnite. (laughs) And he's like, I am done. And he stops playing. And then whatever kids he plays with is like, oh my God, he stopped. And then they hear why, I'm gonna do it. And they might not do it for like the real reasons, they'll do it just to follow. And then a few more kids will see it. And then Twitter, and there's like 3 million views, 5 million views. And then who knows? And then seriously, like this company that put Fortnite out is like why people stop playing. Like what happened? So then they're gonna go find them. Like, what can we do? Make them the face of the game. All kinds of stuff would happen. And this happened in 87 where there is no way, there's none of that communication. So it's just something small, I guess grassroots, and it worked out really well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting that you love this movie and you have mentally kind of created what a remake would look like. Whereas when I was watching it, uh, my thought was I'm glad they haven't tried to remake it mm. because there are some elements of this movie that are that are kind of pure mm. that I feel like would be diluted or changed dramatically in a remake. Like, we don't really have an antagonist in the film. I mean, there there is the rich guy who shows up who's kind of trying to undermine these pro- this protest mm-hmm. because it's going to affect his bottom line because sports are not going on. Right. But he's kind of a shadow figure. Right. You know, the the president is genial and kind. And as as the, like the scene where he even asks Chuck to, to stop, mm-hmm. he admits before he even asks him that, you know, I'm asking you to go against your um, principles. And that's something a man should never ask another man to do. Okay. But I'm going to do it. And the way he does it, it's okay to say no to him. And I feel like... If it was made today, they would want to have some sort of over-the-top antagonist, you know, someone for the audience to hate. Right, right, right. You're right, you're right. With that, thinking about that, I would almost not want, like, some big-budget company to get a hold of this and do it. It almost feels like it'd be an independent film. So somebody who would just, like, low-key do it. But for me, and I'll kind of open up a little bit as to why I like this idea. So obviously, again, in the social unrest that we're in, I would, re- I would replace a few things, but pretty much keep Chuck's reasoning. He's not, he, first, he's not playing, then he's not talking. 
I like that idea. For me, instead of nuclear disarmament, I'm taking probably what's going on with the police, everything that's going on. I threw some extra wrinkles in there, but I do agree with you. If I were to redo it, I would have, there's definitely an antagonist with me. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like at this point, I could definitely create one. There's one there. And then I would do a few things. Like I would have this Chuck, whatever the character would be, but then I would have Chuck's father be a cop. So mm-hmm. I, would, I, would, I would throw some entanglements in there. There's a lot to it. I, we're not solving anything if I ever write it, but we're just kind of imagining. We're kind of discussing it. That's how I would do it. But I do agree with you that you're probably... And that's that's an interesting approach because the movie does at times, and it's one of my issues with the film, at times it attempts to make the father an antagonist. Yeah. You know, he doesn't understand what his son is doing. And when it first starts at on the baseball field, he understands. He doesn't he doesn't understand why he's doing it. Like he can't feel what his son is feeling. Right. But he respects it, mm-hmm. and so they forfeit the game. Right. But then as Amazing Grace becomes a part of this and the movement starts to grow, the father starts to get angry about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like it, it's not even a starts to. It comes out of nowhere. It's suddenly full throttle angry, and he's an antagonist, and he's against Chuck. But he even says, "If I, you know, I could make you stop right. by telling you to stop. Right. And he doesn't do that. So it's like this inconsistency with the dad. So I kind of like the idea of, in a remake... Maybe making that make choose one direction, make right. him an antagonist or don't. Right. And by making him a cop, you're kind of helping settle that. Right. And what I liked with it, and I think another reason when I, when I like I like watching these movies. What I love when I watch an old '80s movies is I like the credits because I always like to see what actor who had like a bit part become something bigger. Right. <laughs> I love that. So in my case, when I see this, and he's, and obviously William Peterson didn't have a bit part, but obviously he grows to be something something a lot bigger. He oh, yeah. probably ends up, he's the biggest star I think left coming out of this movie. So I thought it was interesting, but I think what they did with him is that they wanted confusion. Maybe not confusion, but a bit of family chaos here. Because you're putting, he's, he's literally butting heads with his dad and what his dad does. And I think they did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. So I think you have him, he's against it, but he's he loves his father. He just doesn't love what his father does. And right. his father has to decide where he stands. Is he going to support his kid? Is he going to make him do something different? And I think that doesn't make him an antagonist. It makes him, it, it, I, I don't know what the word, he's not confused, but he's, I don't know. He's he's got this struggle. Who do I gotcha. support? Because he doesn't have a problem dropping bombs on people. He doesn't have a problem doing what this fighter pilot doing what he does. But he understands why his son feels this way. So there's a bit of pride that he has for his son, but also you're not supporting me. It's and I think that struggle makes it that much more interesting, having his father be literally who the son is kind of fighting against. Let me ask you one more question, and then we'll move off this remake idea and actually talk about the movie. No problem. But I, but I, I have to ask. So in this remake in your head, mm-hmm. is Chuck a, a, a black child or a white child? It would be, you know, I never thought about it. I probably, I think I'd make him a black kid. Okay. I think I would because I think that struggle makes it even more interesting. This is a kid who sees what's been going on, 
who knows his father is in this business. No, he loves his dad. He knows his dad is a good guy, stuff like that. But he's kind of in, in a rage with what's going on. And he really can't really push it at anybody else, but he has somebody who comes home every night from that job. And I feel like that would work. So okay. I, I think that's, I think if I ever really sat down and I tried to do it, I have a few more wrinkles that I would do, but I think <laughs> the black kid, I think his, his father is a, is, a, is a black cop. And yeah, I literally, if I knew how to write, if I could write a script, I really <laughs> have the idea how I started. And, I'm like, and then we go from there. And I think I think it would be interesting. So yeah, he'd be a black kid. I think that's a really cool idea. I like it. I like it a lot. Thank you. So so moving back to the original movie, what is your history with this movie? Like, when did you see it? Oh, it's hard to see. Oh, when did I? I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, we've grown up with cable and whatever and TV and such. I feel like it was just on. I didn't go and see it in a theater. And I was looking stuff up, and I didn't see how much money it made, if any. So I saw it had like a $5 million budget, but I didn't see anything more than that. So I really wonder if it had a long theatrical release. But I feel like I just, just like growing up in Long Island, that's where I grew up. And I feel- that explains the accent right there. <laughs> <laughs> I have an accent. I think you're the first person who's ever said that. But, uh, <laughs> but it was just on. And I just watched it. And I'm like, this is cool. And aside from the fact that I had to watch it with commercials, I loved it. And it was just something. And then whenever it would come on, I would watch. And it just stuck with me. And I would watch other 80s movies. But for some reason, when that one would come on, it w- it stuck with me. That's all I can say. Yeah. No. So my uh, my history with this one is, uh, you know, you were surprised that I had heard of it when you brought it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, I mean, I, I grew up, my parents separated when I was 11. And it was every other weekend at my dad's house. And, you know, my dad's been on the podcast before and he talked about his philosophy about nice movies, that he likes movies, that nice movies, you know, where you have a good feeling at the end of it. Right. And I distinctly remember when we would have weekends with him that he would get, he would rent movies and we would, you know, we would do family in front of the, it wasn't a huge TV watching these movies. And this was one of those movies that he wanted us to see. And so I I have this distinct sense memory of watching it, but that was 30 years ago. I, I have not seen it since then. I couldn't tell you what year it was, right. but it was a VHS rental. I can tell you that. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. My parents divorced when I, when I was 10. Essentially the same. I mean, our timeline is really pretty connected right now. So I, I don't know. I might have. And it was the other way around. So I stayed with my dad. So every other weekend with my mom. So I would just go and I would just watch TV there. So it was kind of weird. It's entirely possible that I saw that sitting in the basement at her house. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I had to text him when I was finished watching it saying, you know, that I had revisited this for the first time in 30 years. So, (laughs) which I hate thinking that was 30 years ago. I feel so old. I know. Oh my goodness. You have no idea. Oh, especially (laughs) when I'm walking around with these kids and I don't, you know, it's a whole different thing. I listen to a song and they're like, oh, this was so old. When did this happen? Was it still black and white? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, get out of here. I'm not that old. What are you? <laughs> my kids are ridiculous. <laughs> my, my son and I just watched um, X-Men First Class over the weekend. Oh. And I was trying to explain to him that the historical events in that movie were real. Mm-hmm. Like the, 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 you know, Bay of Pigs. Right. Cuban Missile Crisis. Right. And he's, he was like, were you alive then? Oh, my like, God. No, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I hate kids sometimes. <laughs> All right. So taking a look at the critical side of this, mm-hmm. uh, it, it sits at 38% at Rotten Tomatoes. It was not well received at all, although it has a 70% audience score. So the audience that it has really likes it. Right. Um, I always pull in a positive and a negative review. Okay. These were a little tricky to find because there's not a lot of reviews out there and all of the top critic reviews for this were negative. Okay. So um, on the on the negative side, Janet Maslin of the New York Times wrote, now surely there is no one among us who would not like to see an intelligent, cogent film addressing itself to children's fears about the nuclear threat. But Amazing Grace and Chuck is much too silly and far-fetched for that. It should be said to the film's credit that at least it avoids the Rocky Karate Kid route of finding personal aggrandizement under the, every stone, and that Mr. Zuhike plays Chuck as a thoughtful, serious, and very modest boy. But entirely too much of the film is grounded in a visual and moral paradise where the sky is not cloudy all day. <laughs> That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. On the on the positive side, I'm just going to go ahead and apologize for this because this is actually a Spanish review that I had to get Google to translate. Wow. So hopefully it doesn't read too bad. Okay. But this is uh, Angel Luis in Inayura from El Pace, who writes, British director Mike Newell, notable in Dancing with a Stranger, a film based on a true crime of passion, shows that he is also at home in this fictional fable. The climate of concern is well achieved from the beginning and captures the interest of the viewer, although the pacifist message as the outcome of the film begins becomes too incredible, not leaving the good memory that made its beginning boast to its end. Despite regretting its end, even if it is a story, the parable is too childish. The voice of silence is a worthy product, and although it is not a good movie, it is interesting and personal. It arouses sympathy and represents one of the few summer premieres that can be viewed. And I should add, the voice of silence was this movie's title overseas. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So anything you hear in either of those reviews that you want to talk about or that you want to bounce off of? The one thing I wondered and I think I liked is this movie. When you get movies with subject matter like this, once in a while they get way too preachy. And yes. this movie, I don't, it, it, it did. It had its moments. It had its preachy moments. But I don't feel like it didn't go too far. And it sounds like that's the problem that I, maybe the negative review had. That they're mm-hmm. just putting all their all the opinions and everything that they think, just putting it out front. And I don't think that's the case. I think they were able to, obviously, it's a serious subject matter, and you're going to get some opinion in there. But they didn't get way too preachy. Everything is bad. The world is terrible. Russia's horrible, blah, 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 whatever. They didn't go there. So, yeah. I, no, I mean, the reviews are what they are. Probably not wrong. Maybe a little harsh. But mm-hmm. I could see it. I could see it. Well, I I will say, uh, you know, again, it's been quite a while since I last saw this, and I remember really liking it the first time I saw it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, watching it for this, I I definitely have more sophisticated, more developed tastes as far as cinema goes. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching the movie, and it feels very made-for-TV movie in places. It feels very, very mawkish. It feels very manipulative in places. And yet, despite that, I started having a really strong emotional connection to it mm-hmm. and, and to, to the point that there were tears oh. at several places oh. in the movie. Oh. And so I'm sitting here watching something that I know is manipulating me mm-hmm. and yet I'm still okay with letting it manipulate me. <laughs> That's interesting. That's interesting. You said that. And I immediately I'm thinking about those after school specials and I'm yes. like that, 
it could have done that. They could have done that. You know, if Ben Affleck was younger, you put him in that part and all of a sudden it works. <laughs> but um, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I don't cry in film ever. And I love movies because to me it's all fiction. So I, I never, never cried. That's one thing my wife hates about me that I just don't show emotions. But with this film, I could see it. Can I ask you yes. to put you off the point? Sure. Do you, when Alex English is on the plane, do oh. you know what's going to happen? Um, so, yeah. So the, the context of this is this is later in the film after the shadowy guy has kind of been lurking about and threatening, making threats through uh, Amazing Grace's manager, right. who's played by Jamie Lee Curtis. Right. And uh, Amazing has to go to some event for his manager, and he has a phone call with her where he's talking about, thanks for sending the jet. She was going to send a Cessna, and he wanted a jet, and she sent a jet. Mm -hmm. And she says, I didn't send a jet. You're on a plane that I didn't send for you. Mm. And the second she says that, mm -hmm. and I, I think before then even, when he's thanking her and just the look, because Jamie Lee Curtis is that kind of an actress, just right. the look that she gets on her face and she turns the TV off, and that's when I knew. And it was like... I and I didn't remember that he dies. Ooh. I didn't remember that as a plot point. I just suddenly was like, "Oh, he's in trouble." Mm -hmm. Like I had forgotten the second part of this film. I had forgotten the vow of silence. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'd forgotten a lot of that. So I did definitely get caught up in that. Yeah, I, that's probably my favorite part because, and obviously, I'm not looking for anybody to die, but I feel like that puts a real. That, the movie takes a strong left turn to me when that happens i i felt it coming i remember even as a kid knowing something was about to happen I, it's something he was i for some reason and i don't think i even knew what the word martyr meant back then but in my watching that i'm like they're gonna kill him i don't know how i don't know who's gonna do it but somebody's gonna kill him something has to happen so i right. felt i felt that coming and watching it more recently He's on the plane, and I'm like, oh, and I'm sad. I'm like, this is the last conversation. And then the realization to him, he knows. And then he's just kind of looking out the window and then fade to black. And oh, like, oh. Yeah. Oh, and it was like, oh, so it's it's good. That's maybe my favorite part because they just, you know, they took that one step. Maybe that's the preachiest part of it. Where look what somebody's doing. Somebody's willing to kill this man to make sure that, you know, we play sports or I get to bomb whoever I want, this this type of thing. But I loved it. I thought that part was great. Yeah, it, it's funny you mentioned preaching because I'm sure you don't mean it in the same way that I'm thinking right. of it. But one of the things, you know, I, I even remember distinctly when my dad first brought this movie up, mm -hmm. it, the title is Amazing Grace and Chuck. It has Amazing Grace in the title. And I was worried that this was going to be a religious movie of some sort or a movie with religious over to undertones. Right. Um, and then when I was watching it today, uh, and one of the very first scenes you get is the family sitting around the dinner table mm -hmm. saying grace. And I was like, I don't remember this being a spiritually connected film, but is it? Uh, and and I, I there's a part of me as as someone who's not very outwardly spiritual, who's not a religious person. There's a part of me that's very happy that that's not an element of the film. Right, right. 
I agree. And it wasn't. Yeah. So when I mean preachy, I think I'm more in the words where you come, you come up with a movie like this and you have a specific opinion about something and you make a point that you're just kind of throwing it at people. So I'm sitting there, I'm ducking and diving. I don't want to hear about your opinion. You're throwing it at me the whole time. This, it just happened that that was his nickname. I mean, yes. great. So that's just what, that's just the way it worked out. I thought that was cute. You know, the whole thing with the three and all that. And it, oh. yeah, I, it's, it, that was cute too. I mean, a little, uh, that doesn't happen now. You know, there's no stadium where who, who's the, or uh, nobody's throwing a three, shooting a three and somebody's sticking the three up. It was just, they, they went a little cheesy with that, but. Oh, but I love it. I mean, that's, and again, I, yeah, you're right. It's cheesy. And it's, and I, and I totally, and I mean, the negative review says that, you know, that it's, it's, uh, what, uh, grounded in visual and moral paradise and, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I totally get that. Right. But that three becomes when, when Chuck is at the press conference mm-hmm. and says, I don't have anything more to say or I don't want to talk anymore and, and hands holds his hand up in that three, Mm. which is a sign that we have associated with uh, grace with amazing grace early in the the film. Right. Um, That, that was a moment that hit me emotionally. And I, and I'm, I I totally cry at movies. I'm a sucker (laughs) for it. My, my ex-wife and I used to always joke that I was the one who cried at movies and she sat there embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) but but one of the things and i think i feel like the negative review missed this and i i wouldn't again i wouldn't have caught it before but it definitely stood out to me now is the movie opens with once upon a time there was a boy it's a fairy tale and that gives it a lot of permission to do stuff like have a, a that news story show up in boston that's it's a fairy tale oh that's a really good point i don't that's a good point. I don't know when you've seen a movie as many times as I have. You you know some things just kind of just kind of skip by you. That's that. <laughs> I didn't even think it is. It really is. It's like Alice in Wonderland. It's just like a fairy tale. Okay, this is what happened. Yeah. And then it's like they open up and there's a story. Listen in. That's so true. That's- well, and and that's like there's no concern at any point about this NBA player coming and living in this little town mm-hmm. because of a little boy. Like, again, I feel like in the wrong hands, I'm not saying you would do it, but right. in the wrong hands, I think there would be accusations of pedophilia or something mm-hmm. like that going on. Mm-hmm. And none of that is here because it's it's a very pure movie in a lot of ways. Mm. You know, I mean, the only time race is brought up, even though it's a, a, a little white boy in a, a very tall black man mm-hmm. um you know the only time race is brought up is when they're out in the woods and amazing is talking about black boys don't black men don't do that well maybe little black boys do but you know but that's that's the only time race is acknowledged and like when the the ambulance shows up and abducts grace you know i was like oh crap mm-hmm. i didn't don't remember this right oh because it's two goofy football players <laughs> playing a joke on him it's not a racial abduction or something like right. that Right. And that's good. That's so good. Like, cause it's not even necessary. Right. It's, and, and, and you know what, if somebody were to do it now, guaranteed. And I mean, I have my idea of how it'd be done, but it would be so gratuitous, unnecessary. Oh, he's a black guy doing this thing as opposed to sticking with the subject. They would do it now. But back then, if you're going to pick basketball and we can be honest, if it's going to be basketball, it's going to be a black guy. So right. that, that's what, and they just picked that sport. It made sense. 
And that wasn't that wasn't the underlying issue. He was just a person, just an American, who agreed with that kid. And that's great. I like that. That they didn't they didn't take the the easy route. They did they just did something simple and left the the race out of it, which yeah. is an, it's another reason I think why I like it. Because Well, and I and I love the fact that when those football players show up, you know, I immediately wrote down on my notes, oh, they show up to join the cause. And then it's when you're watching the scene, it's like, oh, they didn't. They just came to hang out with their buddy for a day. Exactly. And over the course of that, decided that they were going to make the sacrifice as well and join it. Mm-hmm. But there was no harassing over which sport is better. You get basketball players, you get baseball players, you get football players, you get Olympic athletes, mm-hmm. and there's no demeaning each other's sport. They are united in solidarity by just being athletes. Mm-hmm. And that's good. And that's and that's good. And they, again, so many ways that they could have gone, but they kept it above board. Athletes, strong and intelligent athletes who have opinions. Because yes. now... Athletes who have opinions, they're almost derided for it. Back then, obviously, they were, der- they were derided for it back then, too, but it was because of how far they took it. What was it they told Kobe to shut up and dribble? Exactly. If that happened now, like an all-out attack, it's, can't believe you're doing this, you're super filthy rich, what are you complaining about, stuff like that. But back then, those athletes were rich, and they, yeah. And, yeah, and they you know, and the fact that it was a black guy and he had white friends who were athletes, yeah. So it brought it, it gave credence to the belief because it wasn't just some black guy who decided it because they could have gone that route. Then they added white athletes and they added, you know, Olympic athletes just made it important. And race was the least important part of it, which was fantastic. Well, and the Olympic athletes even allow them to, uh, you know, bring in the fact that this is starting to this is ending being just an American thing. It is an international thing. The Olympic athletes are doing a press conference and the camera doesn't linger on them, but the interview keeps playing as you're seeing what's going on around this barn that they've been setting up. And she comments on how athletes from other countries and even Russia are joining in this. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I love the fact that the kids joined in. That's what I thought was great. Uh, I love because it. it. Yeah, I mean, I commented on uh, my note. My notes comment on that that when the baseball game is forfeited, his friend looks at him and he very clearly does not understand what's going on, mm-hmm. and he just says, "See you around." And it's like, I don't understand what's going on, but I'll still be your friend. Right. And then a little later, when Chuck gets picked up at school by the guy, the again the crazy guys in the ambulance. Right. You know, you have that the one little bit of profanity in there mm-hmm. where the other kid says, you know, oh, Chuck's really becoming an asshole. <laughs> and and his friend again says, you know, oh, eat shit and die. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and so when the teacher is harassing Chuck about not talking and sends him to the principal's office and his friend stands up at the same time that Chuck does. And one by one, the kids are standing up to show his support. They don't have to understand what Chuck is going through. They just have to understand it's important or at least it's important to him. Exactly. Exactly. And stuff like that doesn't happen now. Stuff like no. that. It's... It's the movie has so many layers to it. Like these kids who don't know really what's going on, but they see a friend who believes in something and they decide to stand up with them. And that's enough. And yeah. internationally, I loved it. What kids all around the world have stopped talking and people, and I, I'm like, that's so beautiful. Kids just like, if they want to, kids can pretty much control things. So everybody's in a, in a tizzy now. What are we going to do? My child's not talking. They're not eating. They're not playing sports, all that stuff. It's, that's, 
I guess the people who reviewed it, they don't really see these things. They're looking at the overriding message, but they're not seeing the foundation of how it's built. This movie is better than they give it credit for, by far. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I totally agree. Yeah. crunchy on the outside and juicy on the inside. I'm here to share the stories of everyday life. Some may be juicy and some may be crispy, but all are unique to the storyteller. Come and listen to Crispy Pickles. So let's talk about Gregory Peck, of all people to cast as the president, playing a very... On one hand, affable, as I said, genial Gregory Peck type character. And on the other hand, Reagan was in office when this movie happened. And you can't help but think of that when you see this president. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> oh, exa exactly. Yes, definitely. Older, very, I don't know, affable, right? He's a great speaker. He's got this... He's got this presence about him. And I mean, I see Reagan, but to me, I'm, I'm watching to kill a mockingbird, to be honest with you. Right. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, so I, he's my, I think my favorite character and he's in the movie 20 minutes or so, but it's, it's important. He just has this presence and he's conflicted because, you know, he wants the kid to stop, but he knows he shouldn't make him stop, but he plays that part very well. You can see the conflict. You can see it. And he's the first time he comes to him, look, this is what I've got. And he thinks it's going to work. But I think he knows it's not really going to work. This isn't yes. enough. This is, this is what we're going to do within 10 years. And he knows it's not really going to work because, you know, Chuck is about total, not something in 10 years. And because Chuck can't respond, the, con the communication, the connection that they have, because he's pretty much telling himself what Chuck would say. Like, oh, in 10 years, who's going to be president? Stuff like that. You're right. He's and I, and I love that that moment comes from the dad. Yeah. The dad kind of translating for Chuck. But also that means the dad has finally clued into what's going on. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. I love Gregory Peck's voice. Oh, God, I, I yes. Loved, I love his voice. And again, I'm a To Kill a Mockingbird fan, so I love that. The way he talks, there's such a presence about him. He doesn't have to speak fast. He doesn't have to speak quickly. He just speaks. The way I guess a good leader does, he grabs your attention. So when he's talking to him, it's just, I'm loving it. I'm in. I'm like, I would probably would have said something. I'm glad I wasn't doing the movie. <laughs> but well, you said your, you said your favorite moment is the, the plane, the plane scene. Right. Mine is probably the conversation between the president and Chuck, the, the second conversation that takes place on the president's plane, right. where the president explains to Chuck uh, you know, that there is value in the First Amendment and that, you know, we can't silence you. We can't silence your movement. But there is, you know, often thrown about that the First Amendment can't be abused. Like you can't go into a crowded theater and yell fire. Right. Right. And Chuck, I guess this is earlier in the film than the plane because Chuck responds to him and says, but what if there is a fire? Mm, exactly. And it was like, oh, damn. Because uh, and again, being the right age. Mm -hmm. This this happened to me. I, I did an episode of another podcast where we looked at War Games, which oh. is one of my favorite oh, movies. Yes. But that movie and this movie both kind of remind me of what it felt like being 
a, a, a teenager and, a, and an adolescent in the Cold War era, that there was a fear of nuclear war and that nuclear armaments were a concern. Yep. Yep. So true. That's right. The oh, He was so wise. This kid was so young and so wise. He was just, he hadn't been, you know, the world hadn't really messed with him yet. Aside from seeing that silo, he was, he still had his innocence. Yeah. So when he responds to these things, he responds like we should all, like we all should, like a kid, like, yeah, well, what if there's a fire? And we don't think that way. We think three steps ahead, but he's thinking at that moment, what if there's a fire? And it makes you think. It makes you contemplate things. And sometimes you need a kid to just clear things up for you. <laughs> it, it definitely helps. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not the way they say it, but maybe this, what they're saying is the best. Again, yeah. Mm-hmm. I. I do find it interesting, you know, we do hear the president's initial plan that Chuck doesn't like, which is that they'll do 15% disarmament this year and over the next seven years for total disarmament, which, as you said, the dad brings up the idea that a lot can change in seven years. You won't be in office. You don't know that the the Russian premier will be in office. Um, And then when he comes to Chuck with the final plan. And he meets in Chuck's house. I love that there's like a, a de-escalation of where he meets Chuck. Right. You know, at first it's first it's at the White House, and then it's you know on the airplane, and then it's finally in Chuck's bedroom at his house. Like right. how fairy tale is that? <laughs> but when he brings the final plan, the one that gets Chuck to start playing baseball again, we don't see what that plan is mm. because I think the writers knew there was nothing realistic that they could put in the movie as a resolution. True. You know, you're right. There's nothing legitimate, nothing that you would really believe. We just have to, and I think a lot of movies will do that where they'll just leave it to your imagination. Right. So we know what Chuck wants. We know what the president brings. And if it leads Chuck to playing, then we have a pretty good idea of what it was. We didn't need to see it. (laughs) It was was there. So we understood. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what? I, I, it's interesting because it wasn't until late in the movie where the the Russian premier uses the phrase "civil disobedience" that I really connected this with that, with you know that with this this movie. Right. Um, I, I had been thinking the whole movie about the conversation Chuck and his dad have early on in the film about principle, mm-hmm. about the importance of standing up for your principles. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because it it kind of it shows the dad. It it shows where he is. He's that's another a conflict for him. I think. It's principle. It's you got to stand up for yourself. But in this case, if you really decide to do something, you're kind of doing it in my face and in the face of what I do. This movie really has a lot of layers, a lot of things that they, you know, that little things like that conversation, father and son, job, ideal, life, death, things like that. That is an important conversation that I probably would have even liked had it been later on. And maybe not even a conversation, but maybe just mm-hmm. a one-sided thing where the dad is even saying it and he knows it's true, but he's really upset about what his son is doing. So he could be saying it to him like, you know, you have to stand up for what you believe in all the while he's angry because of what he's taught his son is really affecting him in a lot of ways. Because obviously he's working and people know what his son is doing. And so he's got to be getting some blowback from it too. Oh yeah, he lists that. He, he, I mean, there's a scene where he lists the consequences mm-hmm. of what's happening because of Chuck. That right. the the, the little sister was knocked down right. at, and bullied at school, and the mom has to go out the back. And do you even know what I'm getting at work? I mean, right. he lists that among the consequences. Right, 
Right. Right. But in the fact that they're still, he mentions it and he tells them. And I, when I, those scenes, I wonder, is he doing it to guilt him? Or is he testing him? He's just telling them just to tell him. I'm like, is, I always wondered what that was and what were we supposed to see? Was he just an angry dad and seeing what you're doing to the family? Or was yeah. he doing it to say, listen, I'm not going to tell you to keep doing it, but I understand why you're doing it and the family knows why and we, and we're taking the brunt of it, but we're still behind you. So it's, it's an interesting conundrum in how he explains it. I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of those conversations, a lot of things that are said. There's a lot of things said without being said. There's a lot yep. of under, underlying issues that are in there. I think that's just another reason why I like it. Maybe I read too much into it, but I really feel like that's what I got with a lot of conversations with his father, conversations he had with Amazing Grace. I felt like there was so much to it, so much to it. For, and consider half of the movie, well, he doesn't even talk. Yeah. And there's just so much that you get from him. He did a really good job. I think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. What have we not talked about about this movie that you still wanted to hit on? I got to say, for me, I, now I'm an NBA fan. I grew up, I love basketball. I remember Alex English, and I'm pretty sure that when he was playing, I think he played for the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm pretty sure that's who he played with. And he was a good player. He wasn't a great player. So I found it interesting in this film, they made him out to be the Michael Jordan of him time. Like he was the guy. He was it. So I found it interesting that that's who they chose. I thought that was like, really? I mean, <laughs> I thought that was fun. I'm like Alex English? Alex English is like a three guard, middle of the road, pretty good player. And in this movie, he's all world. He's awesome. Whatever. Two, I've always loved Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, yeah. I've loved from... What is it? Not 48 hours. From Trading Places to the yes. Halloween movies to all that stuff. So I'm like, look, that's a young, smoking Jamie Lee Curtis in that movie. <laughs> like, she's beautiful. I remember thinking that. Gregory Peck, just because I love Gregory Peck. So I thought that was amazing. The best, while it's not my favorite scene, one of my favorite scenes is the phone call from the president. Oh, God. Yeah. This, he's like, and he's like, do you he's like, do you know who you're talking? That's not what he says. Do you do you know do you recognize voice? my voice? Do you recognize my voice? And I'm like, oh my God. And his aide has already introduced him. Please hold for a call from the president of the United States. But he gets on and he goes, Do you recognize my voice? And, and you don't even and we don't need to hear the other side because we know this guy is shaking in his boots. We know he's done. He knows what happens here. You're gonna divest yourself. I can't. Oh, it was so good. That a one-sided phone. I almost wish I could have heard the other guy, but I didn't need to because I knew what happened. He's like, yeah. yes. And I'm like, that is a beautiful scene. The power of the presidency. Because he, he that wouldn't happen now. No. Well, no, no, no we, so what? Can you imagine? Like Donald Trump calls Jeff Bezos. Do you know? Do you recognize my voice? Yes, so what? <laughs> <laughs> you will divest yourself. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> All right, let's move into the end credits here on that note before we start getting political. A uh, couple of games before we're done. The first up is The Algorithm Says. This is a list of movies, one algorithm, because this movie didn't generate any other titles on another one. Mm. But it's a, a, a list of movies that an algorithm says you will like because you liked this movie. Okay. So this is like a lightning round mm-hmm. of 
do you know this movie? Have you seen this movie? Do you like this movie? Do you not like this movie? Do you not see it's how, how it's connected? That kind of thing. Wow. And I, I suspect you're not going to know a lot of these movies. Okay. But we'll see. All right. All right. So first up is uh, Abel's Field. Never heard of it. Me neither. It, it looks like the connecting is some sort of adult slash teen relationship, like mentor-mentee type relationship. Nah. All right. American Pastime. No. I'm imagining, is it a baseball movie? But never heard of it. It is, and I oddly have seen this one. Oh. It, it it takes place in a Japanese internment camp wow. where one of the things they do to kind of keep their sanity and stay connected is play baseball. Ooh, who is in this? Uh, in, it doesn't really have anybody in it. Like, it's it's not really, it was an independent film. Okay. Um, but it is quite good. I had to review it back when I was a DVD critic. Okay. And it was one that I got a screener sent to me of, and I, I quite liked it. Okay. I might see if I can find it. Okay. Okay. All right. 12 o'clock high. Oh, it sounds familiar. I think I've seen it, but I don't remember what it's about. I think it's I, a Gregory Peck movie. I, that's why I've seen it. Okay. That's what it is. I can remember. <laughs> I, I must have seen it a long time ago. But couldn't okay. Mm-hmm. Try 17. Try 17. No. Yes. Never heard of it. It has Elijah Wood in it. And the only thing I can think is that the young actor here looks kind of like Elijah Wood. Maybe. Okay. Oh, wow. That's a stretch, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Angus Buchan's Ordinary People. What? <laughs> no. No. It's it's a religious film. Oh. So again, I don't know how it's really connected. Nope. Now we start getting into the really weird stuff. Okay. First Family. First Family. Um, it's First Family. I'm assuming, is, is it a kid? Who's is it the child of a president and there's like a bodyguard to go with it, something like that? It's a Bob Newhart comedy from the late eighties. Bob Newhart. Okay. Yeah. Didn't see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um Sour Sweet. Nope. Sour. It's a it's a Hong Kong movie. Not a chance. <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> I have no idea how this is connected. I don't get it either. All right. It takes two. It takes two. The title sounds familiar. It is a 1988 comedy, but that's but that's all I could really discern from it. Two, why it's why does it sound familiar? I don't know. I feel like I don't know. I might have actually seen it. Yeah, it's from 1988 in Texas. The naive Travis Rogers quits his job to marry his beloved Stephanie Lawrence and work with his father-in-law. All right, nope. Oh, that's why it sounds familiar. Is it, oh, it meant no, no, no. The reason it sounds familiar is because later on. The Olsen twins did a movie with that same title, but it's not uh, the same one. Okay. No, Got no. It. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Two more. Right. Trench. Nope. It's a, like uh, a noir comedy. So it's like spies or, or detectives and stuff, but it's a comedy. Okay. And then the Spitfire Grill. Title sounds familiar. Haven't seen it. Okay. This is the absolute worst algorithm says I've had. Clearly. Oh, that's bad. That. That's bad. <laughs> All right. We always end with a pop quiz for multiple choice questions okay. based on the movie. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. <laughs> this first one, you're going to start kicking yourself on this first one. Hmm. Uh, number one, this film marks the cinematic debut for Alex English, who plays Amazing Grace Smith. Mm-hmm. English was an NBA player who made the all-star team eight times and was one of the most prolific scorers of the 1980s. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? What team did English play for? A, the Boston Celtics, B, the LA Lakers, C, the Dallas Mavericks, or D, the Denver Nuggets? I'm imagining him in the ugliest uniform ever. (laughs) 
So I'm pretty sure he was with the, was it the Denver Nuggets? It was the Denver yes, Nuggets. They had the terrible. It was like these squares. It was yes, Denver Nuggets. But, it was terrible. So, but I find it interesting because a minute ago you were saying yeah, he wasn't a great I thought player. He was but the first, but then once you said that, then a picture of him and it's a terrible. Yeah, no, 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 uh, apparently player. he's like the highest scorer of the Nuggets ever with over like two thousand points or something. Like I don't know sports, but I was <laughs> reading his bio today and was like, dude could play. But they sucked. That's the problem. So because he was their player, that's why he was the best scorer. There was just there was nobody else. He was it. So he better be number one. <laughs> All right, number two. This film also marks the cinematic debut for Joshua Zuhelki, who plays Chuck. What franchise would Zuhelki go on to appear in? Ooh. A. The Marvel Cinematic Universe. B. The Fast and the Furious. C. Mission Impossible. Or D. Nothing. <laughs> okay, I don't. I don't think he did anything. I'm going to say nothing. That's right. He did nothing after this movie. <laughs> uh, uh, number three, writer David Field clearly had a vision for the movie as he penned the film's 57-page treatment in an astounding amount of time. How quickly did he write it? A, two days. B, two weeks. C, two months. Or D, two years. Mm, two weeks. No, it was two days. Days. Two he wrote, days. Wow. Yes, he wrote the the fifty seven page treatment in two days. Wow. Good for him. All right. And number four. Depending upon your perspective, the film was either amazingly timed or poorly timed based on its message and world events. Because one month after the film was released, what occurred? A. The falling of the Berlin Wall. B. The Perestroika reforms. C, the assassination attempt on Reagan, or D, New Coke was introduced in movie theaters. <laughs> oh, um, hmm. I'll go with New Coke. No, it was the perestroika reforms. Oh. Gorbachev announced the perestroika reforms one month after this movie hit theaters. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. All right, man. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, what do you want to promote? All right. So, my, me and the wife. The one who made me see Hancock. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and is never going to live that down. Ever. 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 Every once in a while, when she, you know, she gets mad at me, I'm like, listen, you made me watch Hancock. And then she just <laughs> takes it. <laughs> so we, we decided with, obviously, with COVID and everything, we've been kind of stuck in the house. And we would have these conversations. We were like, you know what? We should just put a mic in here and we should just do a podcast. Because we think that we have pretty interesting conversations. So we created a podcast called Love is Black. Oh. So it's just me and my wife just talking about, you know, relationships. Just talking about stuff that we've gone through, how we met, how we do with the kids, how we do with life in general. So the Love is Black podcast is available everywhere you get your podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Love is Black podcast. Twitter, Love is Black podcast. Facebook, Love is Black podcast. And we release an episode every Thursday, and we're about 25 episodes in, and you know we just find ways to discuss things, and we have a real good connection, and I think it's a fun thing for us to do, to talk about stuff and just let the world in on what's going on in our lives. So, Oh, that's fantastic, so, man. So if you can, give us a shot. I think it'll be fun. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I have certainly enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you for dredging up a memory from my past with this movie. <laughs> I'm so glad I found somebody who's seen this movie. I was thrilled. I was so thrilled when you when you said you saw it. That made my day because you're really the first. I suggest this movie to everyone and nobody has a clue what I'm talking about. 
ever. Well, it's 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 not a brilliant film as far as its construction, but I still really enjoyed it 30 years later. So Agreed. 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 <laughs> All right. I'm glad we had a chance to speak. Uh, if you need a copy of Who's That Girl, I'll send you a DVD if you want <laughs> so you can message me. It's worth it. It's a good hour and a half. Griffin Dunn is in it. It's fun. It's a good movie. I think you'll like it. But so good. thank you so much for your time. It was fun to talk about. So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about Amazing Grace and Chuck, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Talon Hess on Twitter and Letterboxd, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter, on Facebook where I Have Not Seen This podcast, or you can email me at HaveNotSeenThis at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode. <laughs> Woo-hoo! All right, Dory, let's go over this one more time. We know your memory's not the best. Yep, can't remember diddly. I know. Can't remember squat. That's right. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Harvey for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other. Mm